That was such a moving worship set. I mean, the passion that they put into that, I'm, I'm just thankful for that this morning. It's definitely a blessing to me. And, uh, you know, when we gather for worship, we worship in a way that we recognize that everything we do, whether we're up front, whether we're sitting, whether we're standing, whether we're singing, whether we're playing, we do it all out of worship together for our one audience, who is God. And so uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us in that way. Well, good morning. I hope you've enjoyed your Christmas break and had a chance to tell folks all about it. Uh, for first-year students who live on campus, I imagine this was the first time you went home and felt strange in your own house. For juniors and seniors, this was probably the year you accidentally called ENC home and made your mom cry. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, it happens. I thought I'd just start this morning and just share a bit about one of the strangest experiences I've ever had on a Christmas break. And it happened when I was a college student. I was a freshman in college. And I went home for break, and uh, I was hanging out with some friends. Some friends just kind of came over to our house, and normally that meant they were hungry. My mom cooked a bunch of food, even though there's only a few of us. And we did what we normally would do. Uh, just kind of debate, like, what do we do? What do we do tonight, you know? And it was Christmas Eve, actually, and we we're just trying to figure out, like, what to do. And we always did that, and it always, like, you toss out things, like, let's go to movies. No. Let's go see what this person's doing. No. Let's go do that. And you just, no. And then maybe do, like, paper, rock, scissors, and you, like, make a plan and go for it. Um, but we were just kind of hanging out, doing that kind of thing, and just kind of joking around with different ideas this Christmas break. And someone jokingly said, one of my friends jokingly said, like, what if we go Christmas caroling? You know? And it was like, ha, 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 ha. But my parents were overhearing this, and they busted into the room. They're like, that's a great idea. <laughs> like, what? And they were so pumped. And my dad, he was like, I, I got a hymnal, and I got a new scanner. While you were gone at college, I learned how to use a scanner and a printer. Now, this was you know, a little while back. I think that's pretty normal now. At that point, that was a big deal to him. And he's like, I can make copies at home. And you guys can take these out with you. And we're like, <laughs> OK, it's a joke. But something about their excitement started to make it seem so funny. We're like, let's just do it. Let's just go caroling. Let's randomly go caroling. A bunch of you know, ragtag-looking guys just go caroling. And so we called up a bunch of friends. We packed my father's uh, 1987 Pontiac Bonneville with seven people which he didn't know. We took the car out and gathered people. It's so dangerous in the snow. Never do that. Um, <laughs> seriously, that was very scary. And uh, we just drove around in different neighborhoods, knocked on doors, and then opened up the door and just start, and we just start singing. And we were not singers. I just want you to know that. Like, we're not singers. I mean, we were familiar with songs, but it's just not necessarily a pleasant experience. And we would stand there and sing, and everything in us would just try not to laugh as we're singing. It was just funny to us. And we'd, you know, people would close the door, like, thank you, thank you. And we'd walk back to the car thinking, you know, we were like 12-year-old kids that just rang the doorbell and hid and watched people react. But we were standing in their faces watching them react and singing to them. It was just ridiculous what we were doing. And we thought it was so funny. We couldn't believe we were doing this. 
But then a problem happened. We're at one house, knock, 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 open the door, and we started singing, you know, Christmas songs. And after a song or two, the woman who answered the door, she said this, oh, I feel so bad. Here, and she gives us $10. She gives us $10. We're like, oh, uh, no, like, don't feel bad. We're, we're having fun. Like, we just want to sing songs. She's like, no, I feel so bad. I don't know what we looked like to her. You know, I don't know what it was, if it was the way we sounded or what. But she concluded, these people need me to feel bad for them, and they need my $10. And we were trying to resist it, but one friend was like, uh, sure, and he took it. And like, we walked back, and our laughter kind of changed. We're like, what do we do with this $10 bill? And there's like seven of us, and we're not gonna split it, obviously. Uh, we're, we're just really thrown off. Like, okay, we go to the next house, and it was normal, went to another house, and it happened again, okay? So by the end of the night, we had lots of laughs, and then a few awkward moments, and $25. Okay, $25, like what do we do with this $25? So we, we came up with this idea. We're like, what if we go to the only store that's open tonight? It was later on on Christmas Eve, Walgreens was open. We're like, let's go to Walgreens, let's buy some toys, and we'll take it to the children's floor of the hospital. So like this like really ridiculous joke started to get a little strange, you know? We're like, uh. So, we're like, sure, whatever, that's very Christmas Eve-like, we'll do that. So we go to Walgreens, and we're running around uh, Walgreens, trying to figure out what to get. And like I said, we always debated what to do, so we had a bunch of different ideas, and we narrowed it down to two things. I think we have a picture. We had this one like hotshot basketball kind of thing. I couldn't find the exact picture, I don't think they sell them anymore, but it was actually one-on-one -on -one where it was like facing each other, like basketball like that. And then we had like a bag of like random little goodies, like little toys. And we're in Walgreens, seven guys with $25 debating. Do we get this one-on-one -on -one basketball thing, which was about $25 and it was cool, the backboard moved, we're like, that's it. Or do we get the bag of toys? Because one thing would go to one kid in the hospital was I thought. But the other thing, we could walk around like Santa, and be like, whoa, here you go, you know? And so we sat there debating. And we did, well, let me ask you, how many of you would say you should go with the one-on-one -on -one basketball? Obviously, how many of you would say no? Go with the bag of a bunch of stuff and hand them out to a bunch of people. Okay, so most people. How many in the back were like, I don't really care? <laughs> Um, yeah, so what we did, we did what you should do in those moments. Paper, rock, scissors, okay? <laughs> rock, paper, scissors! <laughs> Whatever, seriously? <laughs> wow, it's gonna be a long semester. Okay. <laughs> um, well, anyway, I'll get back to that story in a few minutes. Uh, I wanted to take a moment and remind you of our chapel theme, uh, since that story's not going so well. Um, I want to take a moment and remind you of our chapel theme, which is praying and hoping for the kingdom. We've been looking closely 
at the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, the prayer that we just prayed together. And we've been seeking insight from that prayer and trying to learn how that prayer can shape the way we pray and live today. And we've been doing this the entire academic year. So right now, we're at the part of the prayer towards the middle that reads, give us this day our daily bread. It's such a simple phrase, but there's a great deal of insight to gain from looking closely at it, especially if we consider the location in the prayer and all of that. So today we're considering just three insights that we can gain from that. I'll get back to the story in a moment, but I actually wonder, I think, I think you might be able to tell how the story ends if you listen closely, I think. We'll see if, we'll see if you can figure that out. But there are three insights that I think you can gain from looking closely at this prayer. There are actually a whole lot more insights, but there's at least three, and here are three. One, our relationship to life's resources matters to God. Two, our relationship to life's resources affects our relationships with each other. And three, God can use life's ordinary things in sacred ways. I find it so interesting that smack dab in the middle of a prayer that is focused on holiness and God's hope for creation, we're taught to pray for something so basic as bread. Jesus could have used this moment to teach them to pray about something more grandiose or at least more abstract, you know, something like protection from all danger or something more personal like freedom from all annoying people, which he didn't do. Uh, But Jesus goes with bread, food. It's a bit mundane. And if you think about what it takes to make bread, it's even more mundane. Wheat or barley flour, water, perhaps some lentils, a heat source, olive oil, time to actually prepare it, or at least the ability to purchase bread from someone who has those resources, or a job to gain the resources to purchase the bread from someone who has those resources, a plea for these very basic and material resources of human life are found as a central part of a prayer on divine and holy things. They're found at the center of the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray, the prayer he teaches disciples. Now, I should point out that the word that's translated as daily is actually not that simple. You know, I normally leave this stuff alone if I'm in a different kind of space, but this is a college setting, and we're, we're, we're doing college-level thinking about faith, right? So it's kind of interesting to know that, in fact, theologians have debated for centuries what that word actually means when we say daily bread. It's been a debate, a, a long debate, uh, a long search, you can say. Uh, In fact, if any of you are thinking about leaving ENC as a graduate, going on and doing graduate studies and trying to do some biblical research, you could do a dissertation or three on this very very word, actually. Uh, I mean, people wonder, does it mean bread that you get daily? Is it merely symbolic of Eucharist or the Last Supper? Is Is daily bread referring to manna, that fell from heaven in the book of Exodus? Does it refer to the image of heaven in which no one goes hungry, a banquet feast? Is it a request for God to provide for us right here and now in the same way 
that he would in heaven? There's just lots of questions about that word daily. But what makes it even more intriguing is that the Greek word we translate as daily is not used anywhere else in ancient Greek literature. Uh, In other words, this prayer is the only place where this word is found other than in writings that are about this prayer. That's very interesting, because normally you want to see how it's used in other places, kind of discern and all that, but it's here. And it wasn't found anywhere else any earlier or like around the same time. It's very interesting. And that means theologians for centuries have been working to determine the best possible translation of that word. And it's even agreed now, it's even agreed that daily is probably not the best translation since the word actually has more to do with a particular kind of hope for the future that shapes the way we view and interact with food and with God today. It's a very unique word. Stanley Hauerwas, he's a theologian uh, from Duke University, actually one of the most renowned theologians in the United States and who will be here for uh, a lecture later on this semester. Uh, He suggests that the word enough is a better translation, uh, as in, give us this day enough bread. But even that is just an attempt to try to fit a much bigger concept into one English word. And sometimes that just doesn't work. Sometimes you need more words in one language to make sense of or to translate a single word in another language. Those of you who are bilingual or trilingual or multilingual, have a sense of that. You you recognize that. It's not always so simple just to give it one quick translation. There's a biblical scholar named Kenneth Bailey, and he tries to explain the concept that's happening uh, through this word that we translate as daily, but he says it's actually important to rework the whole phrase. And he actually gives a really helpful way of reworking that phrase that gets at the broader theological happening in in that word and in the phrase, give us a stay our daily bread. And he actually suggests translating it this way, and I believe we have it on the screen, and he says it this way. Deliver us, O Lord, from the fear of not having enough to eat. Give us bread for today, and with it, give us confidence that tomorrow we will have enough. Notice that the focus here is on a particular confidence or trust in God that frees people from constantly living in fear. This line in the prayer is about our tangible daily resources, but it is also about the way we relate to those resources. Now, let's be honest. Most people in this room would not say that they're fearful of not having food tomorrow. Most people wouldn't say, I'm fearful that I won't have enough food tomorrow. Most people wouldn't say that in this room. Some might, but most wouldn't. But you know, this fear is embodied in the broader human fear of not having enough resources, enough stuff to live a good life, enough experiences, enough job offers, enough contacts, enough clothes, enough compliments, enough likes and followers on social media, enough square feet in the apartment, enough lines on the resume. In this prayer, we find that God is not opposed to us attaining resources. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear that our physical well-being and our livelihood is important. But the idea that we need more and more 
and more is living into this fear that God is not present. It's the kind of fear that would eventually let stuff own us. And Jesus teaches his disciples to have the wisdom and discipline to know when enough is enough and let go of the fear that we won't have enough. So that's the first insight. Our relationship to life's resources matters to God. The second is our relationship to life's resources affects our relationships with each other. Have you ever noticed that the part of the prayer that reads, give us this day our daily bread, is actually connected to the next line, which reads, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Think about it. What do we do when people, what do people do when they're afraid that they won't have enough? I mean, what do people do? Someone said steal. Yeah. They begin to hoard or they begin to justify their need to take what's not theirs. Like, I just have to, right? That fear. Jenny and I were at a buffet restaurant over break with some family. It was a newer restaurant in the town, and they weren't ready for a larger crowd, but it was actually a pretty good crowd, and they didn't have a lot of food out, you know, in the buffet trays. Actually, their buffet trays were kind of small for a buffet restaurant. I don't think they figured that people would be so into their, into their restaurant. So we get in there, there's a pretty good crowd, and they're constantly having to put more out and more out slowly. Um, but you have to wait for the food to be cooked. So it was kind of a slow meal. But every time they would put up more food, a few people would go up and you know, grab some. And most people were like, hey, it's not a big deal. I know that you know, I'll have some food later on today. I'm not going to complain too much. So most people would take a little bit less than what they normally would at a buffet place because they know the person next to them is gonna want something and they don't wanna be a jerk and be like, yeah, I took all the rice or whatever. And so they'd leave a little bit less and we even did that, all of us at our table had a little bit less than we normally would. But there was this one guy who just loved him some tandoori chicken. Serious, it was unique. Every time they put out a new small batch of tandoori chicken, he would race up there, go get his tandoori chicken, fill up the entire plate, take all of it, literally all of it, and walk back to his table. And people would just be like, really? Like, that's, that's interesting. And uh, he did it multiple times. It was the weirdest thing. And at one point, at one point, he didn't want to go through the hassle of getting in the line to get a new plate, because that would waste time. <coughs> So he went up there with all of his chicken bones from the previous plate in his plate and cut everyone else to go get more tandoori chicken. It was all kind of funny, actually, um, until one lady yelled at him for it, and then there was like an intense yelling match, and it got really awkward. Um, seriously, it was funny until that point. Um, but my point is that living into the fear of not having enough stuff really does affect the way that we relate to each other. Now, we're going to talk more about forgiveness later this semester, but it's important to notice here that at the center of this prayer is this focus on resources, on resources and relationships. Along with praying to be free from the fear of not having enough, the prayer leads us to ask forgiveness for living as if we won't have enough. It leads us to ask forgiveness for living into the fear and wrongfully taking resources from others. And it even points us to forgive those who have, who have wrongfully taken resources from us. 
When I consider this, I can't help what would happen if we as a society let go of the fear of not having enough. Would that put a major dent in the statistics of folks who go hungry? I wonder. If we let go of that fear, would it put a dent in the statistics of people who go hungry? Maybe focusing on society as a whole is a bit too abstract. I get that. What about our campus community? What would happen if we all, as individuals on campus, recognize areas in our life where we live out this fear of not having enough, and we chose to lay that down? Would that affect the way we view each other and relate to each other? According to this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, it could very well lead to some moments of asking and offering forgiveness. But I wonder how that would even affect the overall ethos of the campus community. In this prayer, Jesus makes it clear that right, that right relationships with life's resources can lead to right relationships with each other and with God. Do you remember how we started this whole series at the beginning of last semester? We talked about how all of the personal pronouns in this prayer are plural. Our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us. Deliver us. Forgive us. It's not only my physical well-being and livelihood that matters to God. It's everyone else's too. And if our relationship to resources is all about me getting more and more, it's really difficult to relate to others as children of the same providing Heavenly Father. So that's the second the third insight is that God can use ordinary things in sacred ways. In other words, God can take the daily resources of our lives and use them for God's mission. Madeline Lengel, she's the author of A Wrinkle in Time. She actually wrote some really interesting stuff on theology, faith, and art. And she has a book that reflects on faith and art. And in that book, she says this. She says, there is nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred. And that is one of the deepest messages of the incarnation, end quote. The incarnation refers to God entering humanity and being born as a completely dependent, crying baby and placed in a manger among smelly animals and all the stuff that causes the bad smells, if you know what I mean. And in that happening, it becomes clear that the very things that would seem unworthy of God and the very places that seem like God can't be found are the very things and places where God chose to make God's self known. God can use ordinary things in sacred ways. And in many ways, this insight brings the other two together. I mean, turning people to let go of the fear of not having enough, recognizing each other's need, turning to each other in forgiveness, these are all part of God's mission in the world. These are all glimpses of the kingdom. If God can use food and the daily resources of life to shape us in these ways, then I think the point is already made. God can use ordinary things in sacred ways. But I mention it here because I think we need to have our eyes open to see God at work in the mundane realities of life. I forgot I finished that, that story from the beginning. And I don't even know what time it is because there's no clock there or there. Just to finish that, that story in the beginning. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> um, 
it's so important. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. And we did that. And we ended up landing on, I don't remember which one won. I don't remember which sign won, but I can tell you what, what toy won. The toy that won was the one-on-one -on -one basketball thing, right? Which we were like, a few of us were like, oh man, that stinks. We're gonna go to this hospital, the pediatrics floor, and be like, hey, we have one toy to give. We're like, this is ridiculous, but it won. So we went, and we show up to the floor, and we're like, hi, I know this is random, but it's Christmas Eve, and we were out caroling, and we thought that we would sing for the kids at the hospital and give one of them a toy. <laughs> and a few of us were like, this is absolutely nuts. And here's what they tell us. Oh, that's perfect, because there's actually only one, one kid here tonight. And we're like, oh, that's cool. So we go into the room, and it's this kid and his father, and uh, they're just hanging out in there. And she tells them what we're doing, and so we sing to them. <laughs> and they accepted it for what it was. <laughs> and we gave them you know, this toy. It wasn't wrapped or anything. We're like, here you go. And we're like, OK, and we kind of leave. And you know, jump in the car, head back to my parents' place. We're like, how was it? We're like, actually, it was kind of cool. It was supposed to be just a big joke, but it turned into something kind of different. And you know, we go back to our own world. I go back to college. We all kind of go back to what we were doing in the semester. And there was a random weekend where we happened to all be together again. And we're doing what people do when they don't know what to do. We're hanging out at the mall. And um, sorry if I just offended all of you who just got back from the mall last night. Um, <laughs> but we're hanging out at the mall, just walking around with no money, acting like we were cool. Um, and we randomly run into this guy's father, the kid's father. And he's like, hey, are you guys those guys that were singing on Christmas Eve? We're like, yeah. And he's like, I just want to thank you. He's like, my son and I were in that hospital, and my son had to stay awake all night for something he was doing. I don't remember what it was. He's like, and I wasn't sure how we would do Christmas because his mom couldn't make it, and it was just us in there, and that one-on-one -on -one basketball thing kept us awake as long as we needed to keep awake. It was the coolest thing. Um, and we're like, okay, you know? Now, I actually don't tell that story very often. I don't even know if I've ever told it publicly because it's so strange, you know? And I don't like making a bunch of declarations about it. I don't want to suggest that I know the intricacies of how God works. I don't even want you to walk away and think that I'm saying, look at this thing that God did, because I, don't, I, I can't name that exactly. I can't name that. But the reality is, at that particular time in my life, I needed to see God at work. I did. I'm glad that God met my need and his need and my friend's needs, and it was just enough. And what we thought was too little was perfect. I needed my eyes open to that time in my life. In many ways, that story is sacred to me. Sacred. Sacred. 
pranks, pulling pranks at the doorbell and singing and trying not to laugh. It all became sacred. Piling into a car in a completely illegal way all became sacred. <laughs> it all did. God used ordinary things in a sacred way. Well, we're officially in the second half of the academic year. For freshmen, this means you've just finished reflecting on your first semester of college. And I hope it went well. I hope you've begun to think through some of the practical steps to take it to the next level. You know, uh, sophomores, juniors, you know by now what you need to do and what you don't need to do to support your academic, scholarly, your physical well-being, your spiritual growth. You know what you need and you know what you don't need. You know what you need that's helpful for your social life and you know what is not. And I encourage you to let go of the things that aren't helpful and to really embrace the things that are. For those graduating this year, you're now in the last leg of the race. <laughs> I encourage you to finish strong. Finish strong. It really wasn't that long ago that you were on the starting block, but now you see the finish line. You do. You see the finish line. The cowbells are ringing. The crowd is cheering. And your professors, friends, and many others who have watched your journey so far, they're so pumped. We're so pumped to see you cross the line. So don't give up. Don't make it the semester to, to slack off. Finish strong. Finish strong. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that regular stuff that we do here all the time, I encourage all of us to, happen our, to have our eyes open to how God is at work in our lives. I want you to hear this. I encourage all of us to have our eyes open to how God is at work in our lives. God works in the ordinary things and the ordinary places. Classes, papers, athletics, clubs, meals in the calves, conversations in the locker room, interactions at the grocery store, a less than desired grade, hard work. God wants to transform us to reflect the way and life of Jesus. And God does it with the ordinary resources of life. Hey, our relationship to life's resources matters to God. Our relationship to life's resources affects the way we relate to others. And God can use ordinary things in sacred ways. Pray with me. Deliver us, O Lord, from the fear of not having enough. Give us bread for today. And with it, give us confidence that tomorrow we will have enough. God, as we begin the semester, we ask that you would make your presence known. Open our eyes to see you at work in our lives and in the lives around us. Transform us. Transform our shared life together. We pray this in the name of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, as we seek the kingdom of God. Amen. You're dismissed.